Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And boy, are they starting to get messy now after this past synod. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. We're also dreaming about ways to expand the reach and the content of the Messy Reformation. We've been listening to the struggles and the frustrations of our audience, and we're feeling compelled to meet some of those needs. So pay close attention over the next couple of weeks. We've got an exciting announcement coming your way. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, where Willie and I talk about some of the current issues going on in the Christian Reformed Church. Why don't you start and uh, just tell us a little bit how you're recovering after Synod. It's been a while since you and I have just talked about life and ministry and the CRC. So how have you spent the rest of your summer and how have you recovered coming out of Synod? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Um, I would say I'm recovering pretty well from Synod. For quite a few weeks, I was actually pretty tired Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, I've never known what it meant to be that emotionally and mentally and spiritually spent. Uh, But I knew it as soon as, uh, pretty much as soon as I got home, as soon as the airplane hit the ground in Minneapolis and uh, I was being picked up and I was just like, oh, and I was just kind of letting everything go. And then I went, I am very, very tired. Um, But I have... Uh, since then I've taken a, a small vacation kind of 4th of July was, was my vacation with, uh, with my wife. Uh, so that was very good. We had some time for rest and relaxation. I turned 29 since then. So I'm inching closer to 30 as we go here. Um, I went to a music festival out in Wisconsin with, uh, some longtime, uh, youth kids and now friends of mine. So that was actually really, really good for me. Uh, saw Skillet live for the third time. That was pretty cool. Sweet. Yeah, it's very cool. They put on a good show. Um, and since then, I've just been in collaboration and communication with a lot of guys, you know, from Synod, uh, but also just uh, people who are close in my circles who have been an encouragement to me uh, and who have kind of, you know, walked alongside of me uh, while these things have happened. And, and also people who are there at Synod too, who we can kind of, you know, carry each other a little bit. So that, that has really meant a lot. And that's kind of how I've recovered. And also, I guess, since we're recording this on September 12th, uh, our, our new youth group year has started. Uh, so that has been really cool. I'm still in volunteer youth ministry here at Pease, alongside of the, the youth leader here, Dylan. And I, I just love being in youth ministry. 
I, I love discipling covenant children and I love walking alongside their parents in um, walking with them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord uh, and raising them up uh, to take leadership in the church. Uh, so I love seeing the fruit of that. So that is actually part of my revitalization uh, coming out of Synod. So that's that's been my few months. That's awesome. Yeah, I was able to um, lay low a little bit in July, try to recover. And then uh, really August was going to be kind of beginning to ramp up for the year. Um, we had the Abide Convention that's right. um, at the beginning of, of August. And so I ended up uh, taking that whole week to be a continuing education week. Um, and I was at the Abide Convention for a few days and then able to come back and spend some time kind of thinking, reflecting, studying. It's kind of like a, a week-long mini sabbatical or whatever. And so that was uh, that was really good. The Abide Convention really did feel like a, a solid extension from um, a lot of the brotherhood that's been kind of building up, uh, kind of people joining together, walking uh, walking alongside one another, hoping to see reformation happen in the CRC. And so there was kind of a, there's been this kind of fellowship, you know, fellowship of the rings kind of a thing going on <laughs> uh, leading up to Synod. And then uh, when we connected at the Abide Convention in Chicago, you could really feel that again. And that was really good. I, I really enjoyed the the conversations I had there um, at the convention, but also I was able to have conversations with people afterwards, you know, go out, grab a couple beers afterwards, have some, have some good fellowship and following it. Uh, that was really, really good. I do have to say too, another really cool thing that happened um, through the abide convention. Um, well, the first thing I'm going to say is not cool, but what came afterwards is while I was at the abide convention, like during the final uh, worship service at the convention, my dad had called me and uh and to let me know that he had just found my mom unresponsive on the couch and so when he called me like the ambulance had just gotten there and they were hauling my mom off to the er and uh, mm -hmm. at that time he didn't know what had happened if it was a stroke or we just didn't know he she was just completely unresponsive and so um i got that call right during the last uh, worship service was which really kind of threw me for a loop I came back and kind of just sat there and uh, was thinking and praying through the last worship service but uh, but the cool thing was the again that that brotherhood and the fellowship that's there uh, people could see the weight hanging on me they saw something had changed they came up they asked me and then they prayed over me and I had people praying over me and praying over me and praying over me mm -hmm. um, right up until the point when I left. And so again, it's, it's again, this, this beautiful thing of the body of Christ that we're there, we're there for one another. And so I got to experience that again. And actually um, at first I was not excited. I had to like drive home uh, by myself, right? It was like a three hour drive home or I don't remember. Three, I think it was three hours. Mm -hmm. home and I was like man I don't really want to be by myself for three hours after just kind of finding this out about my mom but it ended up being a huge blessing because I spent that three hours um quiet well not quiet I was praying I was praying and praying and praying and praying and processing uh for three hours on the way home and so by the time I got back I really had uh kind of surrendered my mom into the Lord's hands like you know, we, we say we surrender them into their, mm -hmm. into the Lord's hands and we kind of pull them back, you know, and we kind of say, mm -hmm. no, they're yours, Lord. And then you pull them back and, 
Um, and by the time I had gotten home, I, I really, truly had gotten to the point of saying, Lord, I really, really want you to heal her. You know, if it's possible, take this cup from mm-hmm. me, but right. uh, not my will, uh, but yours be done. I trust you. If you take her, you take her. And, uh, and so I had processed quite a bit from that. And uh, thankfully for those, uh, I don't know everybody who has followed along in this whole journey, but um, my mom's had this miraculous recovery. She, she uh, got life flighted to, to St. Cloud and had uh, emergency brain surgery because they had found that she had a brain bleed. And uh, she got out of that and she still had strong stroke-like symptoms. She couldn't talk um, and she couldn't move her right arm really. And uh, within a week and a half after that, she was out of the hospital and back home already. Unbelievable. And, um, and a couple weeks after that, she was almost back to normal, 100%. Now she, I mean, it's like a month later and she's back at work and she's completely restored. You wouldn't even know anything had happened. And so um, I've said, who, who could have guessed that one family would have had two emergency life flights in, in the past year and been able to watch two uh, miraculous recoveries as well. So, um, so that's kind of been, so I was looking forward to having some time to kind of rest and recuperate in August, but ended up spending a lot of that time, uh, just trying to support my family the best I could, my dad mm-hmm. and my mom and my brother. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to, I've got another, uh, a family fishing trip that's coming up in a couple of weeks, my dad and my brother and I go off to Northern Minnesota on this big fishing trip. And it's extra special this year because last year I was in the hospital with COVID, um, uh, mm-hmm. recovering from that. And so I missed this big fishing trip that we did. So, uh, we're hoping, we're hoping nothing happens again. And, uh, we're all able to get <laughs> away up to Minnesota and, uh, and have this good fishing trip. So the Lord has been really good, uh, to my family, even though we've had some ups and downs, uh, he's been, He's been so faithful to us. And so we're, we're thankful, super thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really cool to watch just from the outside, knowing your family being close to you guys, how mercifully the Lord has, has dealt with you. Uh, So I just, I praise God and I thank God, obviously for your progress, uh, because you're, you're what, just shy of a year. Uh, yeah, from, so it's from, September 12th today, and it was September 17th that I went into the hospital and was life flighted and intubated and all that. So yeah, we're about a year on the mark. When this podcast goes live, it will be a year and a day mm-hmm. after the point when I uh, when I was in the hospital initially. So that's right. And on the 17th, I was getting married, and you were just missing it. And yeah, I know. I was just letting you down. That's what I do. (laughs) But no, it has been wonderful to see the Lord be merciful toward you. And now toward your mom, I I still see all the Facebook posts and all the updates. And every single time I come across it, I'm just like, thank you, God. Thank you so much. Praise God. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you mentioned that coming out of Synod, you've had a bunch of conversations with, you know, other pastors kind of throughout the denomination uh, that you connected with at Synod, or you just kind of gotten to know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, out of those kind of conversations that you've been having, what are some of the things that you think you're, you're learning kind of new about the Christian Reformed Church, about who we are as a denomination? That's a really good question. I've actually had some time to think about my answer to that. And my, my answer to that is I can't go ahead and, 
and caricaturize uh, somebody just by where they're at geographically necessarily. Mm. Uh, I, and uh, e- e- even in my own classes, uh, I, I've developed some wonderful relationships with some just very solid people uh, that I'm like, wow, that, that really takes me by surprise. Um, and then obviously other people in more conservative geographical contexts who maybe aren't uh, in lockstep with uh, with those of us who are orthodox. So that's one thing that I really have learned that ideologies are not necessarily linked to geographical location or, you know, theological affinity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been one thing that I really have been learning. Uh, the other thing that I've been learning about the Christian Reformed Church is the Lord really has been good. Uh, and he he really has been at work here. Uh, and I really think, you know, the conversations that have been had for five to 10 years surrounding, you know, right living, right practices, right doctrine, uh, those things I really think have, have been on the forefront of people's minds. Uh, and it's not just rightness for the sake of rightness, but it's rightness for the purity of God's church so that she might be presented without spot or wrinkle. Uh, so that is something that I've been really encouraged to see in the Christian Reformed Church. There, there are so many people in this denomination, so many faithful pastors and elders and deacons and just church leaders who care so much about the purity of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, so that has been really wonderful to see. It, it's easy when you get into a circle of people that kind of think like you, um, to, to think, you know, it's, it's just us, uh, you know, it, you develop the Elijah syndrome. And I think over the last year to two years or so, it has been really good for, for those of us in the Christian Reformed Church who, who want to see orthodoxy reign and who want to see the growth of the kingdom of God. It's easy for us to think to ourselves, oh, it's, it's just kind of us. But if we look really broadly, I think Synod was actually really representative of where our denomination is at as a whole. And I think the the two-to-one majorities, the three-to-one majorities uh, really are an indicator of, you know, the, the, the state of our churches as far as those who, who care about true doctrine. So that's something I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, it's been interesting um, because I'm a hundred percent on the same page with you as far as the the votes that happened at synod being representative of our denomination and yet so many people not so many people i should be careful um a minority of people are saying that synod was not a representative body right that that this isn't accurate of it's not an accurate reflection of our denomination there are way more progressives or revisionists than there are um you know orthodox people on sexuality and the denomination. And I've kind of laughed about that because I've said, man, you can go back and listen to you and I on Mm -hmm. podcasts, you know, two years ago saying, I bet if you look at the office bearers in the CRC, you're going to say at least two thirds to three quarters of our denomination is, is orthodox. And if you get down into the pew, uh, it's probably even more than that, but at least office bearers, we would say two thirds to three quarters of a, of the denomination. And so when then you get to Senate and you see those types of votes, you go, that's wow. about right. Yeah. That, and so it, what, what I found really interesting though, is that 
So of course, there's always this confirmation bias where we're like, well, that's what we said. Look, here's the numbers that prove that we're right. Um, but what has been interesting to me is that there have been the the revisionists have been saying things like this, you know, we're the majority or we're at least at least 50% of the denomination. And then the numbers go against them. And then their response isn't to question maybe maybe we're seeing the denomination wrong. Their response is, uh, I'm not trying to slander, but their response is conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. right? Like all of a sudden when, when something goes contrary to your worldview, all of a sudden now there's this conspiracy that the Abide Project manufactured. I mean, it's crazy to think. The that- coup boys are at it again. <laughs> Yeah, that that we could manufacture something like this, or that anybody could manufacture that. Just the way our polity is organized, but it's it's their way of trying to come up with an answer to the votes going completely contrary to what they thought was true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, it, it is interesting hearing the other side after this, and just the attitudes that they have been displaying and. Uh, to an extent, I I will always be disappointed when I I see uh, orthodoxy shied away from or not embraced. I will always be disappointed, but at this point, I I can't say that I'm very incredibly surprised uh, by by some of the things that are coming out of some of these churches or even part of the denominational headquarters. Yeah. Um, I, I I I am always disappointed, but I think it's it's kind of par for the course at this point and i don't know we can maybe talk about that more but well sure but i i think one of the points that you made too that i wanted to talk about was this understanding that you've had as you've been talking to people who who've been in uh the fight for orthodoxy in the christian reformed church that that they're not just doing it for the sake of orthodoxy um, they're doing it because they love people, right? And because we mm-hmm. we do understand that that right theology ends up working itself out in right practice, and right practice works itself out in 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 like whole and healthy lives in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like that is by far the the people I know and have encountered. To be, I'll just be completely honest. I can't think of one name of someone I've encountered through the abide project and through the messy reformation that I could think of. I can't think of one name that would, that I could say, Oh, they, they just love orthodoxy for orthodoxy's sake. They, they don't actually love people. Mm-hmm. Like I literally can't think of one name and I've encountered hundreds upon hundreds of hundreds of people throughout this. And I can't think of one. Mm-mm. And so uh, it's why I get so frustrated, and I think maybe we can dive into this right now, which is, I mean, not just me, other people get frustrated, but I get really frustrated when I keep hearing these claims fired back at us as having this loveless orthodoxy, right? That's That's been uh, the, and it's not just a claim, um, it's getting to the point, I would say, of being uh, slander, mm-hmm. a definitely false representation, and and, you know, the term got picked up from, I guess I'm just going to say names because people know who these people are anyways. Dominic Blasios is the one that that said that that we're falling into this danger of having a loveless orthodoxy. And then that's been kind of picked up from the banner. And now Editor Chong has kind of 
been pushing this idea of there being a loveless orthodoxy. And, uh, and I get so frustrated because I look at, like, I, I know myself that this is not why I'm promoting orthodoxy. And I know all of these other people that I've spoken with throughout the denomination, they're not promoting a loveless orthodoxy. So I don't even know where they're coming up with this idea. No, I don't either. And it's very interesting, Jason, for you and I, because we were in the same advisory committee as Dominic, yeah. uh, who, who said, you know, that, 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 was, that was a context in which he was witnessing these things. And I just remember sitting there and going, anytime somebody was questioning something as far as, you know, why are these things happening? Why do you believe these things? Why do you hold to these things? It, again, it's not orthodoxy for orthodoxy's sake. Uh, I, when you sanctify them by thy, by thy word, thy word is truth. I'm sorry, but I really do think that we should hold fast to those words. And especially when, when Paul tells Timothy and Titus, these are the reasons why I left you both here, to appoint elders among you who will entrust true doctrine in this church. It was a very vital matter in the first century church, and we're, we're, not, in a, we're not in a different context of that today at all. Um, I, I didn't plan on saying this uh, when when we started recording, but my wife and I actually listened to uh, the evening service for Tim Caparis. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Tim Caparis is a longtime friend of mine, and he was actually the chair of Committee 8, the Human Sexuality Report. And the speech that Tim gave to open uh, that discussion on the floor of Synod and to close it was magnificent. Mm -hmm. uh, because if, if anybody on this podcast knows or has interacted with Tim at all, you, you, you probably know several things about him, but what you probably know about him the most is this man is a pastor who loves people. Yeah. This man is not somebody who sees doctrine as a club. Uh, that's why I thought when he called me and said, Oh yeah, I, I got the jackpot of committee assignments. I thought to myself, I, I couldn't think of anybody better suited for yeah. this task. And it's for this reason too. When I was listening to his service, I thought to myself, this man gets the gospel right. Mm -hmm. And he understands our need for our sin to be imputed to somebody else. And then the righteousness of Christ to be put on to us. Mm -hmm. This man understands the heart of what it means to have somebody die for us. Uh, and he understands that uh, a Christ who loves you is going to take you as you are, but he will not leave you that way because he loves you. And that was what I saw, not just from Tim, but especially from Tim, but from all of us uh, Orthodox brothers at Synod. What do you think? Yeah, well, I want to ask you a follow-up question. Um, so why do you think then um, there's been this promoting idea um, from those who are unhappy with what happened at Synod, that it was um, an example, that what happened at Synod was an example of loveless orthodoxy? Uh, as you know, uh, as, as many of you well know, I, I am, I'm growing weary of, of hearing this term loveless orthodoxy. And when Dominic was 
was quoting that quote. He was obviously quoting from, I think, Jeff Wyma's book on Mm -hmm. the, the Churches of Revelation. Very good, but I'm not even sure Wyma would approve of how that term is being reappropriated right now uh, by, by those on the other side. Um, and I, I really think a main portion of this is just because they were on the other side of things. Uh, there, there is something to be said, you know, for those who are kind of sore losers. Mm. Um, and I really do think th- th- this goes back to this for me. If we have different definitions of, how to interpret scripture, what sin is, what the gospel is, what gospel issues are, well, then we're at an impasse here. We are in mutually exclusive camps in the same denomination. And at some point, both of us have to face the fact that, the, you know, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Uh, this denomination ain't big enough for these two ideologies. And I think these attitudes of loveless orthodoxy are just symptoms of their realization that maybe their time here is drawing to a close because of what we've done at Synod. I think that could be part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've been, I think, I think it does come down. I haven't fleshed all of this out yet, but um, we know on the one hand, we know that um, the definition of love coming from the, the revisionist side their understanding and definition of love is very different from the Orthodox side, right? We're going to say, I mean, they're saying it's unloving to, uh, to, to disagree with some of these. I mean, and I should be careful. Um, I don't want to lose my train of thought, but I do want to be careful because so we've, we've connected a bunch of different things. Dominic, when he made the claim of loveless orthodoxy, you you clarified he was pointing to some of the things he saw in advisory committees, right? Mm-hmm. He was feeling like there was a loveless orthodoxy there. Um, and you and I were looking at what happened there, and we were saying there was no loveless anything there. It was just questioning, why is this happening? Um, can you give us an answer for this? That's not loveless at all. It's just asking. Um, but Chong, editor Chong from the banner, when he's making his claim about loveless orthodoxy he has tried to separate himself from saying the the decision was a loveless orthodoxy but he was saying the the way in which we came to that decision involved a loveless orthodoxy and so i do want to be careful in that and yet what i think is going on which is why we see this so differently is that um, we both are seeing love differently Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it they they feel confident, you know, Editor Chong can feel confident enough to make that claim, to make that rebuke in the denominational magazine of the denomination that just made made these decisions. And and a number of people who thought we made them in a proper manner. We did we did a good job. And we all feel like actually the conversation was loving. Um, but then he can come into our denominational magazine and make a claim and say, no, it was loveless orthodoxy. And I think it's getting down to this separation in our denomination, not just around issues of sexuality, but a separation around what actually is love. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I've been asking the question to people, uh, you know, 
we can debate all day long whether or not loveless orthodoxy is an oxymoron or a legitimate term or not. But my question for anybody on the other side is, do you really do away with lovelessness by doing away with orthodoxy? I, I, I think that's a fallacy. I, I really think that that really is a slow coach way of just saying, well, we want to be loving, but not necessarily orthodox. Well, I'm sorry. I think scripture has very strong language uh, to say about those, obviously, in the prophets, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And Paul echoes this again at the end of Romans chapter one, when he goes on and he lists behaviors that follow from a depraved heart. And he said, they not only practice these things, but they give approval to those who do. Hmm. So I have always said, I do not want to be anathema. I do not want to be on the side of woe is you. When we see those woes in scripture, that's a covenantal woe. That's, that's a curse. It's basically saying, damn you. You are cut off and removed from the grace of God by not only participating in these things, but giving yourself over to approving these things. So I would rather uh, find myself in, in the, the camp that is the, the loveless orthodoxy, if that's the way they want to label us. Uh, like I said, I, d- I debate the legitimacy of that term. I really honestly do. But I don't think the answer uh, and the proper reaction to that is to do away with orthodoxy altogether. Yeah, and I think that gets down to this other uh, idea that I've had or this other thing I've noticed um, that has really bothered me. And I don't want to step too far into the mud, or it's maybe more than mud, it's maybe manure mm-hmm. at this point. At this point. Um, but one of the questions I've been, and I'm not going, to, I'm not saying one way or the other, I'm going to ask a question. Um, there's been a lot of frustration about, I've heard a lot of frustration about what, um, and I'm just going to say his name because everybody knows him, Chad, mm-hmm. what Chad Workoven did on the floor of Synod, um, calling for discipline of Larry Louders, right? It's all public. It's all out on, on YouTube. He announced, so we know that it was Chad Workhoven that made that comment. And a lot of people were really angry about that. Um, that incident made it into Chong's editorial where he was talking about a loveless orthodoxy. Again, he he misdescribed it. He described it wasn't described accurately, but I think that's what he was insinuating. So there's been a lot of people angry about what Chad Workoven did on the floor of Synod. And yet I haven't heard anyone get so wound up about what Larry Louders did. Um, from not just from the floor of synod, he was given a mic and was speaking to the entire body of synod, and he basically told everyone to go jump in a lake. And um, we just debated these topics, this issue for, you know, eight, I don't have the exact numbers for, but four hours each probably, right? Four hours around the Human Sexuality Report, four hours around discipline over Neeland, and after all of that, he basically said. We're not going to listen to you. But he said it with a twinkle in his eye. He said it with a soft tone of voice. He said it, the tone in which he spoke it sounded loving. Mm-hmm. But the content was not loving. And uh, 
And now for some people, and I'm not even saying this about Chad necessarily, but some people would say the tone in which and the way in which Chad spoke was unloving, even though it was orthodox, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what how it's been portrayed. But um, I think for one, that's wrong. He was literally almost in tears as he was bringing it up. Um, and so uh, because he was shaken to his core when he said that, um, but people are more worried about the tone in what which people are speaking rather than the content of what they're saying. And that, again, that that's kind of that loveless orthodoxy we're talking about, right? They're, they're talking about the tone of lovelessness in the context of orthodoxy. And we've almost gotten to this place where we're, we, we're fine with an unorthodoxy that sounds loving or sounds nice. And, uh, and if the, but so we, we've almost placed that loving part over top of orthodoxy and it's important. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of Willie and I's conversation about current issues in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.